Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Like, how's your sleep schedule versus your last stops? Hmm. Um, I actually get, I get more sleep. Um now than I did uh, in in my past endeavors um, it, it's partially because I it didn't matter I, I would I mean I used to be able to uh, really push it from game day to almost Wednesday without showering now that would be obvious um, I can't hide <laughs> I love Mike McDaniel everything about him he is so different from any head coach we have ever seen and he's effective. He's one and zero, and he beat Bill Belichick. And he had that he had that vibe there of the sophomore in high school who's given a presentation, the constant the constant back and forth, you know. Um, but but he's he's great. He's just a breath of fresh air. He's, he really is different from any NFL head coach I can think of. You know what I really like about him, Mike, so far is that he's experiencing all these things for the first time. And he's not trying to hide it. He doesn't, he doesn't try to hide like his glee or his happiness or his inquisitiveness. And, and, and just look, I mean, you know, it, hey, look, you know, it, in a press conference setting, you don't rock back and forth. Well, okay, he'll learn that in time, you know, but, but who cares? And by the way, what's the pineapple doing there? What, what is the, Mike, what's the pineapple on the back? I think that's here? the... That's the Baptist Health logo. I think that's what that is. Would a hospital have a pineapple for a logo? I mean, well, that's appar- apparently one does. <laughs> hey, we are the home of we're the home of healthy pineapples at Baptist Health. <laughs> it's a it's a it's a pineapple heavy diet that they recommend to avoid all sorts of hey, but. But let me just say one other thing about McDaniel. The reason that players in San Francisco, particularly Debo Samuel, really liked him is that 
Debo Samuel used to sit in McDaniel's office last year, mid-season, and McDaniel said to him, hey, listen, by the end of this year, if you do what I say, you're going to be all pro and I'm going to be a head coach somewhere. And voila, it happened. And that is why when you tell players something like that and it comes true and, and, and everybody inside the organization knows that story and now that story travels with you to Miami, you know, that is the kind of thing where guys like Tua Tonga-Valoa and Jalen Waddell and uh, Tyreek Hill, they all say, okay, buddy, we saw you do it last year. Let's see you do it now. And so far, he's doing it. Oh, and they love the guy. Tyreek Hill said after the game on Sunday, he's going to need a wheelbarrow to carry around, not pineapples, uh, after the (laughs) call that was made at fourth and seven in the second quarter to bust the game open and make it 17-0. He beat Bill Belichick and the Patriots. Task number two, another Super Bowl winning coach, John Harbaugh and the Ravens. After last year's Thursday night game in which the Dolphins bedeviled the Baltimore offense with the Blitz, they get together again. The Ravens are three-and-a-half-point favorites. Will the Dolphins, and this is the fascinating chess match, the Ravens surely are ready for the Dolphins to do what they did last year, and Josh Boyer is still there as the defensive coordinator. Most of the defensive players are still there. So the Ravens are going to be ready to zig in response to the zag that was done last year by the Ravens' defense. Now this year, or by the Miami defense, excuse me. Now this year, what will the Miami defense do differently, anticipating that the Ravens will be ready for that zero cover? We don't know where the blitzers are coming from approach that the Dolphins used last year on that Thursday night. That's the most fascinating wrinkle. And I think this is one of the more intriguing games of the weekend, Peter. I love this game because, first of all, you know, the Ravens, we still don't really know what to think of them uh, because that was such a strange opener for them. Um, You know, you talk about teams you don't know what to think of, uh, the Jets, uh, but... To me, the one thing about this game that really fascinates me is that you know right now that Miami really wants to turn it up on offense, and they want to unleash a great wide receiver core. Um, They didn't really have a lot of chances to do that in the first game, and we're going to see what Baltimore is going to do on defense against Tua Tonga-Valoa. But I think this is a game when uh, the, 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 the Miami Dolphins want to throw the ball deep and to test uh, a very good secondary and not just dink, 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 dink. I think Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell both have the ability in this game to go one-on-one against very good corners. And let's see if they can be this deep strike offense that Mike McDaniel in the offseason became convinced that they could be. Well, barring a tie, one of those teams will be 2-0 and as of Sunday late afternoon. As of Sunday evening, either the Bengals or Cowboys, barring a tie, will be 0-2. The Bengals are seven-point favorites at AT&T Stadium. That is still something that it is hard for the human brain to process based upon 
recent years in the NFL. The Bengals going into Dallas, that big of a favorite, but the Cowboys don't have Dak Prescott. They have Cooper Rush. And even though the Bengals lost in week one, hey, with seven sacks and five turnovers, and they still could have won the game a couple of times late in regulation if they make an extra point in overtime, if they make a field goal, the Bengals, I think, will be fine. I I still am surprised to see minus seven you said something earlier, I think, about Cooper Rush. What What is your confidence level in the Cowboys with Cooper Rush heading into this game and maybe several more beyond it? You know, I just remember the game last year. Uh, I think it was Halloween, right? Uh, Dallas at Minnesota, where Cooper Rush came in, completed whatever, 65% or whatever. I don't think he turned it over that day uh, and managed – to beat the Vikings. And one of the reasons, one of the things I really, really took from that game is that that day, watching him play, that he wasn't afraid. And and everybody said, well, of course he's not afraid. He's an NFL quarterback. But you can tell, okay? And Cooper Rush basically looked like he belonged. And that is why... Look, I don't know what's going to happen in this game. And and obviously, I'd think Cincinnati would win too with Joe Burrow coming back on the Joe Burrow revenge tour after turning it over 100 times last week. But I do think in this game, I think Cooper Rush is going to play well. And I, I can tell you this, that even though apparently Dak Prescott is not going to be out for eight weeks, you know, that he's probably going to be out, who knows, four to six weeks, whatever it is, that I can see why the Dallas Cowboys wouldn't be out there aggressively trying to make a deal for anybody, even Jimmy Garoppolo or less than that, Chase Daniel, whoever, Um, because I think they have faith in this guy to hold the fort based on what they saw last year and based on what they've seen uh, in, in training camps and in practice. That's why I think that uh, that Mike McCarthy, Jerry Jones, Stephen Jones are saying, we're okay with this guy. We'll, we'll hang in. Well, and look, the basic reality is next man up. If you bring in somebody yeah. new, you're changing a tire on a moving car, getting the guy up to speed with your offense, the personnel, the coaching staff. You mentioned that Cooper Rush game against the Vikings from last year. That game was the final nail in the Mike Zimmer, Kirk Cousins coffin because Cousins played it safe in that game because it was Cooper Rush and Zimmer wanted him to be aggressive and the Vikings ended up losing and that was it for Zimmer and Cousins. Uh, That's a different story altogether. Cardinals at the Raiders, both teams 0-1. The Raiders are five-and-a-half point favorites. Who bounces back from what happened in week one, Peter? Raiders. Uh, I think the Raiders... Look, the Raiders and Chargers can play 100 times and it's going to be 50-50. They are so, they're the egalitarian teams in any division in the NFL right now, in my opinion. And so the way I kind of look at this game is what team, uh, to me, has more to play for? And you you could argue, well, they're both 0-1. They both have a lot to play for. Yes, but... So they both have a lot to play for. But on the other hand, what team is better? The Las Vegas Raiders are better than the Cardinals. I think the Cardinals could have a very lean year, Mike. 
and I think it continues here. And the one thing that we saw in week one that I think we continue to see develop, you know, one of the things that Aaron Rodgers used to say about Devontae Adams is he just gets open. And if you watch the games last week, two of the receivers, one was Justin Jefferson, uh, the other was Devontae Adams. You, you, you ask yourself a couple of times, man, how did they get so open? And, and when I watched those games last week, I said to myself, this is why Devontae Adams gets paid the big bucks. Because even though you know they're going to try to blanket him, he's going to find a way to wriggle free or to use his leverage to get open enough so that Derek Carr can find him. I think those two guys have a big day on Sunday. I agree with you, and I am very concerned about the Cardinals after week one. They got blown off the field by the Chiefs. Then you have Cliff Kingsbury, the coach of the team, talking about how, well, how can you expect to perform well in the games when you're not performing well in practice? Hello, you're the coach. Why are your guys not performing well in practice, and why are you saying so publicly? I guess when you get a contract extension, you can say things like that. What are they going to do, fire you and buy you out? So I, I just I don't like the vibe around the Cardinals. I really don't. They were 10-2 and last year. They're staring at 0-2 this year. I really like the Raiders on Sunday. When you look at how good the Chargers were last night, see, that's the thing. Week one, you don't know how good the team is that beat you. You don't know how good the team is that you beat. You start to figure it out. And seeing what the Chargers did last night and how they could have won that game, they're pretty good. And the Raiders were in it. I think the Raiders are going to handle the Cardinals come Sunday. Bears-Packers, Sunday Night Football on NBC. Green Bay 0-1, Chicago 1-0. They won in that, that swamp thanks to either failure of drainage system or drainage system overload at Soldier Field. The Packers are 10-point favorites. The big question, how much more in sync will the Packers receivers and quarterback Aaron Rodgers be, Peter? I think you continue to see uh, the development of Rodgers. I think this is going to be, it's going to take two months for this team to get right with uh, Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs, all of their young receivers. It's just not going to happen overnight. And you talked about it some in the offseason Uh, this is a year that if Aaron Rodgers ever is going to show up for all the minicamp stuff so that he can throw to, uh, to his new receivers, this would have been the year. And so now I think he uses practice during the week for even a slightly different thing than he's traditionally used practice. He needs to be able to have faith in Christian Watson after Watson drops on the first play of the season, which is like omen of the year. You know, if the Packers fail, I know what the first uh, play on the reel of, uh, you know, of their season, whatever the NFL films thing that they used to do every year. (laughs) If, if they were being real instead of being nice, that that would be the first thing I would show and say, well, this is a harbinger of things to come. But I do think, especially with Romeo Dobbs, I think by November 1st, Romeo Dobbs is going to be a trusted big-time receiver in this offense. And I think they have enough Sunday night to beat Chicago. Well, that Christian Watson play, and I've been talking about this all week, it is a prime example 
of how in the NFL where the talent is so packed together, games come down to a play here, a play there, a call here, a call there. Christian Watson catches that pass and walks in for a touchdown, and it's 7-7. That entire game changes. The complexion changes. The momentum changes. It's not going to be a final score of 23-7 if he catches that ball, and the Packers very well may win the game. The Vikings had to work their way down the field methodically to get a touchdown, and there's, boom, lightning strike, Aaron Rodgers to Christian Watson. It changes the entire vibe. Last night's call, we're going to talk about that a little bit more later in the program if we save enough time to do so. The Asante Samuel Jr. pick. If that's a pick, it changes everything. It's a little thing here and a little thing there, Peter. That's why it's so big. In that one moment, that was the opportunity for Christian Watson, and it didn't come through, and it it turned a win into a loss. Can they put it behind them and take care of the Bears? And just like you said earlier, we didn't see enough in the rain and the muck and the mire at Soldier Field to draw any conclusions about the 49ers. I can't draw any conclusions about the Bears either. I don't know what the Bears are going to be, and we're going to find out. You know, do it again. Get a win at Lambeau Field without six inches of standing water, and then I'll believe that the Bears may have something. Yeah, one, and one other quick thing, Mike. I don't know how many games in his career Aaron Rodgers has been held without a touchdown pass and under 200 yards, but I will bet you $1,000 right now that it will not happen again this year and probably not happen again in the rest of Aaron Rodgers' career. By the way, Peter, thanks to some folks who are actively participating in the enjoyment of the program, I am informed of a couple of important facts. One, Baptist Health is based in South Carolina, and the pineapple is the sign of being welcomed in South Carolina. So that's why... We saw the pineapple on the board behind Mike McDaniel. Welcome back into number- the press conference. Welcome, everybody. Have a wonderful day. <laughs> Fact number two, Peter, which I have learned from sources with knowledge of the situation, apparently through Google. If the pineapple is upside down, now, and this falls into the category of you learn something new every day, even if you didn't want to. The upside-down pineapple is apparently the universal symbol of a couple that is interested in swinging. In swinging, (laughs) Peter. (laughs) So be careful, folks, with your pineapples. You may accidentally send a message that you didn't intend to send. Or maybe you did. And I'll just say this before we go to break. My mother made one hell of a pineapple upside-down cake when I was a kid. And now I'm starting to wonder. Now that I know this, I'm starting to wonder. You're wondering about your mother right now? I'm, I'm On national TV? It's a, it's a joke. <laughs> it's a joke. A joke that I think she would find humorous. Although right, there's also Uncle a chance Leo. there's also a chance she'd hit me with a shoe, which would not have been the first time. <laughs> and I would have deserved it as I possibly do now. Let's go ahead and take a break. With Sean Payton gone, will the Tampa Bay Buccaneers be able to flip the script finally in the regular season? against the New Orleans Saints. We'll discuss that next on PFT Live. Since joining the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Tom Brady has never beaten the New Orleans Saints in the regular season. He did get a win when it counted most in the postseason, but Brady is 0-4 
in the regular season, including a 38-3 primetime splattering in Tampa Bay in 2020. Here's Tom Brady from Thursday on why the Buccaneers struggle against the Saints. I mean, that's probably the thing that jumps out the most. Turnovers, um, you know, they're a very physical team. I think they beat us up physically. Uh, just a tough, hard-nosed team. They're well-coached. They got a lot of good players. Um, you know, they've kind of had a winning organization for a long time, so they know how to get the job done. Um, they got a lot of great core players on both sides of the ball that have been there a long time, so it's a tough environment to play, but you got to go play, you know, you play good teams on the road, you got to go play well, and um, we just last couple times we played them, you know, haven't done a great job of that. I think it's just understanding why we're losing those games, and um, there's reasons why in each game. You look at, you know, you can look at them and Look at why we won and why we lost the the one time we beat them, um, and we we just had to. It's got to be good football, you know. On offense, defense, special teams, they're too good of a team to think that you can win one phase and win the game. So it's a challenge because they they're uh, you know they're well coached. They put they're in good position to do well. It's they have a lot of good players, a lot of guys who have been together, playing together for a long time. They don't make a lot of mistakes. They make you earn everything. Um, you know, every third down is important. Every kicking situation is important. Every third down in the low red area is important. Um, turnovers are important. So it's a lot of things that lead to winning and losing. And obviously we haven't done a good job of that in the regular season. And, um, you know, we're going to have to play a lot better if we expect to win. Yeah, bottom line, the Saints are a very good team. There were reports that Brady was considering signing with the Saints in 2020 if Drew Brees hadn't returned, and there were reports that the Saints were pondering the possibility of riding with Brady even if Brees wanted to come back that year. So Brady, a ton of respect for the Saints, and it's proven out in four regular season games, Peter. They understand why they're losing. Now they just have to go out and get the victory. They go to New Orleans to do it. The fact that the team is physical, as Brady said, that sets up a warning flag for me because Brady talked earlier this week about getting banged up against the Cowboys, and it's not like he took a really big hit, but he's 45 now. I just wonder how physical the Saints are going to be with him. I, I think they will be. I don't think it's going to go back to Greg Williams' bounty days, but I think they are going to be physical with him because we saw him get banged around, and he's conscious of it, he's aware of it. He looks thinner, noticeably thinner, Chris was saying, like, you know, he's, he's in his pants. He's just, there's no butt there. There's nothing there. Look how thin he looks. I think that, that he better get rid of the football even faster because I think these guys are going to be coming after him with clean legal hits. I'm not saying cheap shots, but, but I mean, look, look how skinny he is. I, I, and you're playing NFL football. You better get rid of the football. Hey, you know, one of the things that's happened in these games when they've played him it goes back almost to, you know, years four, five, six of the, the Sean Payton team. Uh, remember the playoff game where they all brought out Louisville Sluggers. Uh, I think they were going to play the Cardinals. And this is a team that they take great pride in. They want you to wake up Monday after, you know, you've played the Saints. And they want you to be really sore. And... They have a very physical defensive front. They've got a new linebacker slash star, I think, in Pete Werner, uh, who is another very quick but very physical player as well. Led him in tackles last week. And so to me, I think this is a great test 
for an interior defensive line or interior offensive line in Tampa that is going to be vital to whatever success they have this year. When they traded out or, or changed out all three members of that offensive line, you know, that Tom Brady was very comfortable with. This is the kind of game that, quite honestly, those three guys have to come to play and play very well. Particularly, I think, Robert Hainsey in the middle of the line in only his second game as an NFL center. So we'll see if they're up to the test. Meanwhile, it may be the Jalen Darden and Scotty Miller show in the Tampa Bay passing game. Five Buccaneers receivers on the injury report. Mike Evans with a calf injury went from limited on Wednesday to not practicing at all on Thursday. Julio Jones has practiced neither day with a knee injury. Russell Gage limited yesterday. Julio Jones hadn't practiced? I am shocked that there's gambling going on in this establishment. (laughs) Russell Gage back in practice on a limited basis with a hamstring. Rashad Perriman, Chris Godwin didn't practice two straight days with a hamstring. I think of all those guys, I don't expect to see Godwin. He's coming off the ACL, and he has the hamstring injury now. I'm concerned about Evans, Jones. Good luck beating the Saints if you don't have two or three of your best five receivers, Peter. I mean, you may not have four of your best five receivers. I, you know, look, I when I was in camp earlier this year, uh, I was in camp actually on Tom Brady's birthday, which was a veteran's day off, so he was nowhere to be found. Um, but I remember saying when I was watching practice, holy cow, this Scotty Miller beats everybody. And I kept hearing that, well, you know, they're, they're not sure they're going to keep Scotty Miller. And I remember thinking to myself, why would you not keep this guy? And, and again, he's been hurt some. But to me, Tom Brady, and I know this, he loves Scotty Miller. And if I had the ability, if I played fantasy football, I would put Scotty Miller on my active roster on Sunday Because I think, especially with all these injuries, he's going to be in position to be one of the the only healthy guys out there. They're going to need him. I like Scotty Miller in this game for for Tampa Bay. And anyone out there listening, they are making their rush to the phones now to acquire Scotty Miller on waivers. That is a good call, though. We still don't know what the injury status is, but it may make sense to have a roster spot for Scotty Miller in the event we get to Sunday just before 1 p.m., around 11.30 a.m. Eastern, we get the the inactives. We'll see who's on there, and it may be a big day for Scotty Miller. Will it be a big day for Mitch Trubisky and the Pittsburgh Steelers? They don't have T.J. Watt, but they do have a secret weapon as New England prepares to come to town. We'll discuss that next on PFT Live. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. 
Is having someone like Brian Flores help in that situation? Obviously, it's been a little bit since he's been there, but he understands the system, things like that. Is he someone that you can go to this week? Yeah, definitely. And not just this week, all the time. I mean, having Coach Flo um, in our meetings and just having him to, to ask about defenses and what he sees from his perspectives has been huge. I've been talking to him throughout OTAs and training camp, just get his perspective on defense to like what's hard to cover, what I see from a quarterback uh, perspective. And I think him being there gives us uh, a good insight, kind of like what, what what they may be talking about and how they may be game planning for us. So uh, if we just keep those things in mind and, and ha have a good work week, uh, I think it could be a good advantage for us. Mitchell Trubisky, quarterback of the Steelers, home opener coming up, New England. They were a two-point favorite. It's a one-point favorite. Either way, why are they favored? They looked not very good in Miami last week, even though they went five days early to get ready for that game. Pittsburgh typically plays the Patriots well at home in the regular season. Playoffs, a different story. But, Peter, the Brian Flores angle, a guy who spent so many years with Bill Belichick, Flores now part of that brain trust in Pittsburgh. Just another edge, just another advantage to help the Steelers stay a step ahead of the Patriots. And I think we're both on the same page. We both think the Steelers are going to win this game. Yeah, you know, probably one of the most significant points that shocked me after I wrote my uh, preseason prediction column on Labor Day was I said I thought the Patriots were going to go 7-10. and 10. Uh, And the amount of guff let's just say, that I got from people in the six-state region in the northeastern part of the United States was quite substantial. And I, I, just, I just haven't seen it in New England. I haven't seen it through training camp. I haven't seen it in the first game of the season. I don't love the Steelers necessarily, especially without T.J. Watt. But to me, I look at this game... And I say, what is there to love about New England? Hey, look, they could win the game. The Steelers are not the classic great Steelers. But I just don't know what there is to love about New England right now. Mac Jones was out of practice on Thursday with an illness. He had the back injury on Sunday against the Miami Dolphins. X-rays were negative. He fully participated in practice on Wednesday despite the injury. Thursday, unable to practice due to an illness. It's not expected to affect him when Sunday rolls around and that crowd at Pittsburgh raucous and loud and they play renegade in the fourth quarter at the right time and uh, good luck Bill Belichick good luck <laughs> what a way to start the season at Miami at Pittsburgh and it may be 0-2 let me ask you this question because I've been wondering about this and I'm not going to pose it from the perspective of the Patriot organization because I think Bill Belichick has won enough Super Bowls that he's never going to be on the hot seat when do the fans of the Patriots get to the point where what he's done is far enough in the rearview mirror that it no longer factors into how they view where the team is now and they become restless and frustrated and start whispering about a possible change? How, how long does that last for him into the future? At least through this season. At least. He's got at least 2022, and I think well into 2023 as well. And I think he should have that. I mean, people might say, well, now he's under 500 since Tom Brady walked off campus, which he is. 
and you just start to say to yourself, okay, uh, how much longer does Belichick have? Look, you know, everyone knew when Tom Brady left and when they drafted Mac Jones, I, nobody thought they were going to continue as an 11, 12, 13 win team every year. They've got to build it back up. And the fact is that Bill Belichick, the general manager, has done Bill Belichick, the coach, very few favors in the last few years. And we'll see if the recent couple of drafts are better than the ones right before then. But, Mike, that is his biggest problem right now. The personnel on this team, it's a mediocre uh, base of talent right now on this team. And I see more and more people pulling at the thread that I've raised, and I brought it up primarily as it relates to their inability to have young receivers become good receivers. Is it a drafting problem? Is it a development problem? Is he a guy that is more comfortable with veterans who can get up to speed more quickly, who know what are, is expected of them as opposed to the young guys he just doesn't have the patience for? I don't know. I don't know. But look, if we apply to Bill Belichick the same standard that he applies to all of his players and has always applied to his players, we're getting to a point where we just have to have some hard conversations. It's not what have you done for me lately. It's what are you doing for me right now and what can I expect you to do for me tomorrow? And it's fair. We're developing gradually and systematically a body of evidence that allows an evaluation to be made based upon everything since Super Bowl 53. And when Robert Kraft, the owner of the team, comes out and publicly laments the fact that they haven't won a playoff game for three seasons, that just gets you paying attention. And if the fans start to check out and if the fans start to not show up, I, I just I, I'm not saying he should be on the hot seat. All I'm saying is this is just as unprecedented as Tom Brady at this point in his career. We've never seen a coach with this many pelts on the wall start to slide into mediocrity. How do you judge him? Under what standard do you hold him? How many years do you give him to turn it around when it seems to be going in the wrong direction? Mike, you know, you mentioned veteran receivers, and I think this is, this is part of the issue. By the time the Muhammad Sanus of the world get to New England, most of the time they're, they're, on, the, they're on the border of being finished. You know, but if, if you rely on getting veteran receivers, you know, who are 30 or 31 years old by the time they get to you, and I'm not saying this is going to be the case with Devontae Parker. We'll see, okay? But you've got to be able to draft and develop your players and not rely on, you know, always thinking that, well, we can fix this by going out and trading for somebody who another team wants to get rid of. You've got to be able to say, okay, we got to find the next Julian Edelman from Kent State in the seventh round. We need to find more people like him. And that's what Belichick really just has not done, particularly at the receiver position. Before we go to break, the biggest question I have about this game, by far, if Brian Flores, with his inside information as it relates to all things Patriots, is able to help the Steelers beat New England, Will Bill Belichick accidentally text congratulations to Brian Dayball? That's the question <laughs> to which I must know the answer. Let's take a break. When we return, nice. the week two Very show nice. me something draft. More PFT Live right after this. 
Peter's slipping. Today all we got was numbskull. He's quoting Mo Howard on the first Friday <laughs> after the start of the regular season. Uh, and you know, Peter, you and I may be the only ones who know who Mo Howard is at this point. Sweet me. If you know who Mo Howard is, let me know at Florio at ProFootballTalk.com. There may be some eye gouging in Carolina on Sunday. That's the ultimate defense to the eye gouge, Peter. <laughs> oh, there he is. Oh, that's great. That's great. Can we can we do the football photo? Can we pull the football photo up, please? I know we have to get to the draft, but I think the football photo is excellent because it's got Peter. I think Peter was Larry. I was Curly and Sims is Mo. I think that's it. I can't tell. I maybe it may oh, be I'm Curly is the one kicking the ball. No, you're not yeah. Curly. You're Larry. You're you've got the hair on the sides. Sims, I think, is Curly oh, yeah. and, and yeah. I'm Mo. I have that <laughs> I have that photo on a magnet on my refrigerator in my barn. Not with not with those revisions. I may have to get it. Uh, I may have to upgrade to, to that specific photo on a magnet in my bar, but that's a great Three Stooges photo. Meanwhile, I'm, I feel compelled to go back and watch all of the Three Stooges movies for any evidence of upside-down pineapples. I can't get that specific twist <laughs> out of my mind today. Show me something week two. Peter <clears throat> King, you're up in round one. Mike, show me something Trey Lance. You know, last, last week is an absolute throwaway. You couldn't tell anything by what happened at Soldier Field in the monsoon. So this week, against a good defense, against a good rival, a team that had a very good win last week, but a team that you figure at the start of the year, we have to beat the Seahawks twice. Show me something, Geno Smith, that you're ready to face a good, fast defense. Wait, so who's showing you something, Trey Lance or Geno Smith? Trey Lance. It's got to be Trey Lance this week because Geno Smith is not expected to win this week. I agree. Show me something, Lamar Jackson, against a Miami Dolphins team that bedeviled him in Week 10 Thursday night last year. Can you deal with the cover zero look? The blitz is coming from all directions. Can you make faster decisions and get rid of the football? And, oh, by the way, Peter, to the extent that the contract situation is clearly unresolved and they're not talking and he's not talking, this may be an audition for a suitor in the offseason if the Ravens decide to explore possibly trading Lamar Jackson to another team. So show me and the Dolphins something, Lamar Jackson. Show me something, Matt Ryan. Okay, so you're going to say, well, wait a minute. What, what, what are the Colts doing this week? The Colts are coming off a very unimpressive tie against the Houston Texans. And they're going to their favorite vacation spot in the AFC South. They're going to Jacksonville, Florida. They always fare so well in Jacksonville, Florida. And in fact... The reason why Matt Ryan is the quarterback of this team right now is because of what happened last year in week 18 in Jacksonville, Florida. And that's why Carson Wentz is in Washington right now. Show me something, Matt Ryan. Get the Indianapolis Colts off the schneid that has existed for far too long in Jacksonville. I think if they lose in Jacksonville on Sunday, there's a chance that 
Jim Ursay goes into the locker room and fires Frank Reich. I'm exaggerating, but that left such a mark last year. And I really do believe Chris Ballard talked Ursay out of firing Reich because Reich's the one that recommended Carson Wentz. And it was clear that Ursay hated Wentz by the end of the season. Show me something, Tom Brady. It's time to show that you can beat the New Orleans Saints, even though I've picked the Saints to win. So don't show me too much. Show me you can play well, but go ahead and let the Saints win so I can finally get one right in this series because I've been trusting the Bucks every time and every time the Saints win. But we talked about it earlier. Physical defense. Brady got banged up against the Cowboys. He is looking gaunt. He is well past the E in the gas tank, both physically and as it relates to the off-field stressors and pressure in his life. And that's been a point of of conversation for weeks now. You can make people quit talking about that stuff, quit asking questions just by, by you know, doing your thing the way you've always done it. And to go into New Orleans and get it done would go a long way toward getting people to, to, to shut up about the Brady speculation that maybe he's done, Peter. Show me something, Daniel Jones. You know, Mike, <laughs> maybe Daniel Jones is not the precocious wonder kind that he was drafted to be by Dave Gettleman in the first round in 2019. Maybe he isn't. We're in year four of the experiment, and, you know, maybe he can't do it. These are the games. Hosting the Carolina Panthers after you have a huge first win of the season that no one expected that every survivor pool entrant with three quarters of a brain is now out of the survivor pool for the year because you all picked Tennessee. So, so what does this say? I, I think like everybody else, this is a Saquon Barkley game. I get it. But Daniel Jones has to make enough plays in this game to get the Giants to 2-0. and So show me something, Daniel Jones. I was tempted to go with Aaron Rodgers here, but I think he will have a huge game and reverse what happened last week and everything will be fine with the Packers. I'm going to say show me something, Sean McVay. The perpetual glass half full head coach. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Oh, it's okay. We lost. There's 16 more chapters left in the book. Well, you've had 10 days to get ready for the Falcons. You should be able to dismantle the Falcons. And I'm not talking about 24-21. I think the Rams need to kick the crap out of Atlanta to remind everyone that they're the Super Bowl champions. And they need to get the offense clicking The defense needs to be effective against Marcus Mariota and Cordero Patterson and company. And it just needs to be the kind of game that reminds us all of who the Rams are. They've had 10 days to lick their wounds after getting beaten soundly by the Bills. What has Sean McVay managed to do to get through to them and get them ready to go for this game? Because this is going to tell us a lot about who the Rams will be this year, how they recover from the 21-point blowout loss to the Bills, Peter. I agree totally. This is a vital game for the Rams. All right, we're going to take a break. When we return, we're going to go back to seg one, the Asante Samuel Jr. interception. There was a pool report after the game with the man in the league office who made the decision to overturn the ruling on the field. We'll see if it holds water when PFT Live continues right after this. So here's the play that Peter and I talked about earlier in the program. Asante Samuel Jr. Meanwhile, who was Patrick Mahomes throwing it to? Samuel has it, bobbles it, 
secures it unless he doesn't. The ruling on the field, interception. After further review, automatic replay review, Walt Anderson at 345 Park Avenue. Remember, it's now a decision made by the league office. The decision was made that this is not a catch because of the ball hitting the ground. Not that it can never hit the ground, but under certain circumstances, hitting the ground is bad. On other circumstances, it's okay. Peter made a great point. Was it truly indisputable visual evidence? Was it clear and obvious that the ruling on the field was incorrect? Walt Anderson was made available to Joe Reedy after last night's game, and Anderson said what we saw was that the ball did hit the ground and that Samuel had not secured and maintained control of the ball after it hit the ground. We saw movement of the ball after it hit the ground, and then the ground ended up helping him re-secure it. The ball hit the ground as he was going down, and then he did not maintain control of the ball. I don't see clear and obvious in there anyway. And, Peter, I think that's the point. And I think every once in a while, the folks who are in possession of the technology need a reminder that it's not just what you see if you're viewing it from scratch. You've got a layer of deference you have to give to the ruling on the field. You have to assume the ruling on the field was correct And you only overturn it if it's clearly and obviously wrong. And I'm with you. I don't think it met that standard. And there's nothing about that in the pool report. You know, it used to be, Mike, the NFL used the word indisputable when they said it requires indisputable visual evidence. And then I think in in 2019, they changed it to clear and obvious visual evidence. I don't care what the wording is. I could watch that a hundred times. And does it look like maybe, possibly, even probably the ball got jostled when it hit the ground? Show it one more time, especially very slowly right at the end. Just watch. Just watch this right at the end. When you see his hand underneath the ball, his left hand underneath the ball, okay? I believe with his left hand underneath the ball that see right there right at the end watch his left hand okay when you see that you don't see him necessarily securing the ball against the ground the ball obviously came in contact with the ground but i thought his left hand secured the ball and and you know prevented it from coming free When it did hit the ground, I would not have overturned that call. I've come up with a new standard. I just thought of it. Because as we were playing it there and you were walking us through it, I had to lean forward to look very closely. I think lean forward is the standard. If you have to lean forward to look at the play, then it's not clear and obvious, right? I mean, if you have to watch it from every freaking angle that's available before you come to a conclusion, it's not clear and obvious, I agree with you. Peter, we need to bang this drum all day long. We need to enlist any like-minded individuals out there to come along with us and to get the league office to understand it is not a fresh look at the play. It is replay review that only activates when it's clear and obvious. And the one other thing right now, Mike, we are too much into microanalysis of plays that are not clear and obvious. That's the drum that needs to be banged. And we're going to bang it all day long. Thanks for some of your time. Enjoy the weekend. See you Monday. 
The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.